Hi, I'm Brett Giuliano, creator of the Dust Bunny Mafia and Mavimals, which you can find on dustbunnymafia.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, a lot of other places, YouTube, and you're watching and listening to Two Geeks Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We're joined today by a returning guest. He's been on the show in the past talking about his amazing comic series called Dust Bunny Mafia. But he's back with an amazing new product and a new Kickstarter campaign called Mobile Moles. <laughs> We're joined by the ever-talented Brett Giuliano. How are you doing today? Doing good. Thanks for having me back. Well, it's good having you. I was really impressed with your comic style with Dust Bunny Mafia, but you're going into a brand new venture with playing cards this time around. For those that don't know anything about yourself as a creative person, tell us who you are and what you're bringing to Two Geeks Talking today. I am Brett Giuliano. I am the creator of the Dust Bunny Mafia webcomic that's like Looney Tunes meets The Godfather. It's been running for over 10 years. I have three trade collections of it and multiple products. I've started working on a new project called Mobimals, which are playing cards that are inspired by real-life mobsters who had animal nicknames, featuring characters like Sammy the Bull Gravano, a famous mobster who has a podcast now, Carmine the Snake, Persico, and people like that. And so I take real-life mobsters who had animal nicknames or animal-sounding nicknames, have a little fun with it, and make them into animal mobsters. Coming to Kickstarter with this deck of playing cards featuring 52 mobsters that have animal nicknames and some facts about the mobster. Well, we've always known that you have a, a wonderful research and in, into the history of mobsters. And I always love talking to you about your favorite mobsters. Diving into the background and the backstory of selecting mobsters like Carmine the Snake, Persico, and Vincent Mad Dog Cole, how did their historical narratives influence the creation of their mobable counterparts in playing cards? I do a lot of research into true crime. I have a whole library at my house that's filled with 50 to 60 books on the subject. I listen to podcasts, work with other creators, podcast hosts, things like that, join Facebook groups, all dedicated to true crime. So I have a lot of information out there. One of the guys that fascinated me that you've mentioned I brought up as well is Carmine the Snake Persico. He was a New York mobster in the Colombo crime family, and he originally got his nickname the Snake not because he was a liar or untruthful, it's because he was offered a very lucrative deal by the then acting boss of the Profaci crime family to double cross his crew that was the Gallo crew, led by the famous Crazy Joe Gallo. Plenty of stories about that. And so he double crossed his crew and tried to kill some of these members. Through that, he was actually called that on an interview by another mobster as he was leaving a courthouse, and the name just stuck. He was also known as the Immortal because he had several attempts on his life and he walked away from almost everything, pretty much unscathed. Yeah, I took that. I just kind of turned him into a Cobra character because, I mean, Cobra is one of the most venomous snakes out there. They're all very dangerous and deadly. And so I was like, what is, you know, a snake that has the same kind of mythology behind like someone who had the name nickname immortal playing card decks have 52 cards that's a standard when it comes to 
know, you go to Vegas, you got 52 cards, or maybe you're just dealing with the house. We'll talk about that after. But choosing 52 real-life mobsters for mobable seems like a meticulous process. Can you share the criteria and challenges you encountered in curating this exclusive deck? And how did you narrow down your favorites? I mean, I did a ton of research. I am always reading, listening to podcasts, audiobooks, finding things in Facebook groups, in the true crime section, surrounding myself with this passion of mind. I'll run across a name, Nikki the Crow, and I'm like, oh, you know, in the digital age, take a picture of that, upload it to my Google Drive folder, or when I'm going through and making a comic, you know, I'll do the same thing. I'll find something where I'll hear an audio snippet, grab that information, jot it down real quick, save it for later. Over the years, I've actually compiled a list of nearly 100 real-life mobsters who had animal or animal-sounding nicknames. And there are plenty of creative liberties taken. For instance, one of my favorite people that I've turned into a mobile is called Vincent the Chin Gigante. I turned him into a chinchilla. He was actually known as the Chin as a way to have his guys and his crew not be heard discussing his name on wiretaps. So he would actually have his guys, when they were talking audibly, to reference his chin as opposed to saying his name out loud if they thought the place was bugged. I took that and said, you know, what's an animal that rhymes with chin or something like that? Oh, a chinchilla. So I took him, turned him into this funny little chinchilla with a bathrobe because the guy was also known as the odd father. I think we actually might have talked about him on one of the previous times. Probably my biggest challenge when it came to this stuff was trying to either find enough information or try and get it right. I try and be very thorough with my research. Some people, you know, are very well known. Carmine, the snake is easy to find information on. Vincent Chinjigante, plenty of information because he was a boss. But Nikki the Crow came out of Philadelphia. It was one line in one book I read. I try and search on Google. I try and go to libraries newspapers.com. And sometimes you're dealing with cannot find information other than a Wikipedia two-sentence bio. That's not enough to go on. And so then I just let the creativity fly and be like, all right, active in the 80s. What's some 80s clothing? What object can I incorporate? That was one of the biggest challenges for me. If all goes well with this playing card deck, since there are 52 cards and I already have almost 100 names, I would love to do a second deck and have a opposite thing that would complement each other, like a yin and yang side. You could almost do 52 police officers or organizations in that respect on the other side of things. Who did you leave out of these 52 cards that you really wanted to include, but just it couldn't fit? That's a good one. I did not come prepared to answer that one. <laughs> um, all my technologies over... Because uh, <laughs> I'm like, that was not one I had. One of the characters that I didn't incorporate was a guy that was a hitman, a part of Murder, Inc. in New York in the 30s through 50s era. He was known as Martin Bugsy Goldstein. So he was a group of hitman and killers that were kind of outside the mob, the mob's go-to, where they would outsource. A lot of mobsters, especially the early 1900s and into the 50s, had the nickname Bug, Bugsy, or some kind of buggy or some variation on that, which meant crazy, hairpin trigger personality. I've actually used him in some of my Based on a True Story comics, and I turned him into a centipede as this like 
big, nasty bug kind of thing you don't want in your house. He's one of the characters. There were so many ways to work with bugs. A lot of people that had that nickname, yes, there are plenty of bugs out there that you can work into things, but I was like, I don't want to overwhelm the deck with like five characters all named bugs. Were there any female gangsters or mobsters? That That's something I never got to ask. There were. There weren't as many here in the U.S. Overseas, definitely in Italy, there's been some big crime lords. In the American Italian mafia, the main person that comes to mind would be Virginia Hill, who was known as the Flamingo. And she was actually active in the same time as Bugsy Siegel, Lucky Luciano, people of that fame. She was known as the Flamingo for her long legs. And she was actually a mob courier. And so she wasn't an official member, but she worked with mobsters. She helped skim money from casinos and other efforts. She was involved very notoriously with Ben Siegel. So Bugsy Siegel and her were a pair. Part of the reason Bugsy got killed, he was killed at her house in Beverly Hills. And then she actually ended up fleeing the country. Part of the reason he was killed was for skimming casino profits from Vegas. And he kept investing more into these casinos, but he didn't have the money to do it, getting it from other mobsters. They were afraid that he was skimming, so they killed him, and she ended up fleeing the country. And I believe she ended up in Austria and ended up living a normal life changing her name kind of thing. I was always curious about that because I've, I've seen a couple of things on, on, say, Netflix about the Colombian cartels with uh, Sofia Varga as the lead. Yep. And I've actually got a card dedicated to Virginia Hill in the deck as well. Walk us through the creative process behind designing each card in the standard deck. How did you ensure that the mobable characters captured the true essence of each mobster's personality adding depth to the storytelling within the cards. When I first created the cards, I made the characters huge. They took up almost the entire face of the card. They were a nice art deck, but they didn't add any actual story to the characters. And unlike my comic, Dust Bunny Mafia, that's been around for 10 years, people that are familiar with my brand know the characters. These characters, these real-life mobsters, if you're not in the true crime community, we'll know one or two of them, maybe even a handful. But with 52 cards, you're not going to know the majority of these people or these characters. I didn't like that after I got I got proof deck. They looked fine, but they were missing something. So I ended up taking the concept and pitching it to a another group of comic artists and creators that I'm part of. And they were kind of a mastermind group. It was a think tank. And I said, all right, I've got this concept. Here's what I've done with it. I'm doing playing cards. What do you think? How can I add something to this? And they gave me some examples. The leader had some ideas of some other decks of playing cards that have been kickstarted and such that had little names attached to them or like a famous deck that had dinosaurs and it had locations on where bones were discovered throughout the U.S. and Canada, things like that took things like that and decided to incorporate those features into the deck. With each card on top, I've got the, the first name, last name, and the nickname of the mobster. Underneath the mobster, I've got the city or the family 
crime family they were associated with, and then I've got the dates of when they lived and died, what they're presently up to for the few that are still alive. It's a great historical deck. You could play war, you can play Euchre, you can play whatever with it. Kind of still fits that mafia mobster motif. I, I think that's amazing. Thank you. What considerations went into this exclusive deck and how does it enhance the experience for both you as the creator and the backers who secure these rare decks? The last deck that I produced in 2020, I did a deck of Dust Bunny Mafia playing cards and I printed 150 of them and it took me about three years, but I've almost sold out of the entire run, which was very interesting, very surprising because most of my shows in 2020, I didn't do any shows because of the pandemic. Now coming back a few years later, my audience has grown, but it's still not going gangbusters with any of these things. I thought that 500 decks would be a good amount. My goal for this campaign is probably to print about 200 or 250 so I can scale up a bit from the last one. These tie in more history, more true crime, so it has a little broader reach than just my Dust Bunny Mafia deck, but it also allows me to do another run while still holding the exclusive, not doing a huge run that, you know, you can find these in New York, San Francisco. I don't want to get to that. You have your bicycle playing cards. I'd rather have something that's an art deck, something that's fun and functional, but also has a niche to it. It's something different than what we're used to seeing. It, you know, I like the history aspect. I like your colorful characters are there. I like the fact that you're invested in this because you're passionate about it. I think that transitions to how you're promoting it and what value you're trying to provide the people that are not only back this, but also continue to support you throughout your, your career. I appreciate it. I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, is that, a, is there a question no, going? Just, just a comment. Thank you. I like giving things that are quality and I don't want something just to slap my name on it. You know, I'm very intentional with my products, with my marketing, with my research, especially with the internet nowadays. To be like, oh yeah, these were just copied from Wikipedia and he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, let's dive into the technical specs of these playing cards because I, I've never designed a product like that. So I have no real knowledge in that respect. But talk to us about the details like cardstock, the size, the print type, finish, and packaging, because I think that's really important to show, like you just mentioned, the quality that you're trying to invest into these. How do these contribute to the overall feel of this mobile stick? The standard deck with the base card that I'm shooting for right now is uh, S30, which is a professional standard cardstock. It's got a smooth finish, and it's the most standard cardstock on the market when you're talking about playing cards. As for the rest of the details, I wanted to make the card standard size. Yes, you're not going to take them into a Vegas casino or something or even a real game. This is, you know, for fun at home with some friends, having some beer, playing cards, you know guys night, poker night, that kind of a thing. I wouldn't expect these decks to be used in any kind of a professional manner. But I also wanted it to be standard size, whether they're doing card tricks or they're playing cards with their friends to be able to handle just like everything else in the mainstream. I've played a game with some of my college friends called Nerds. That's a like group solitaire competition. And there was always this one deck of playing cards that someone brought that was in the shape of pineapple. It was the most awkward card to work with, awkward deck. And we always gave it to the people that were the best at the game, just to kind of give them a disadvantage. So in that, I wanted my cards to be standard, to be mainstream, 
that's the initial size and specifications for the deck. But when it came to the tuck box, I wanted to do something special with it. On the front, I've got the logo and some of the characters on top of it, some details that says real life mobsters reimagined as their animal nickname counterparts. Right there, someone can pick up the box, see on the side that it says playing cards, a Dust Bunny Mafia brand created by Brett Giuliano. Lastly, on the back, I've got card back design. I was very intentional about having all the specifics for people to know about the cards without me having to tell you, oh, is it a deck of playing cards? Is it a card game? Is it something new? What are these? And that was designed intentionally for when I'm at shows, when I'm doing comic cons or art shows, things like that. If I have these out on my table and I'm talking with someone else and another customer comes up and picks them up, I want everything to be right there for them to know without me having to stop one interaction and say, yes, those are you know playing cards. I created them. They tie into these other products, et cetera, without me actually having to say that. You have a favorite suite or suit, I should say? I think that hearts are my favorite suit in terms of the characters that I put in there, but it changes. Huh? No, I think hearts are the favorite suit for my last deck too. I put my dust bunnies in that one, put the main characters. Why do you like hearts so much? Probably because I was big Alice in Wonderland fan growing up. So the original books and everything, the overall story of, you know, Lewis Carroll and Queen of Hearts, all that. The Joker cards feature guest artists and a movable commission card. Can you share insights into your creative collaborations with guest artists and the inspiration behind the movable commission card concept? The Joker cards, when I did my last deck of playing cards, 55 cards is the standard deck that's included when you do a set of playing cards. Generally speaking, you've got the four suits with their 13 cards. So you got the 52 standard cards, but then you've got three extras. Two normally are Joker cards, depending on the game, you might not use them. And then the last card is normally either some rules or like an index of games that you can play, information about the cards, the publishing company, things like that. With that, 52 cards is a lot of illustration to do. I wanted to vary it up a little bit. I wanted to add something different. So I collaborated with a couple of guest artists. I had two people that I had worked with. I had been following them online have them do their take on my characters. And so I did that with my Dust Bunny Mafia deck, and I loved the response, both from the other artists, seeing their designs of my characters on the deck, and as well as my fans. And I mean, it was just fun for me to do. When it came around to doing this deck, I was like, all right, it worked well last time, so I did it again. I reached out to a couple of good friends of mine, the first Joker has actually already been revealed. I do that as milestone bonuses in the campaign by my good friend, Phil Giuliano, cartoonist that's out of the Twin Cities area. And he did a take on a mobster known as Sam Frog Glorioso, who was a Indiana mobster who lucked into being in the mob, unfortunately. He was a guy who had a gambling debt and couldn't pay it. The Chicago crew kind of forced him into, hey, you know, you're good with numbers. 
you're going to start collecting bets to pay off your debt that you owe us. So that was the idea. I love getting commissions. I love seeing other artists and their perspective with my characters. And it's just kind of fun to break up the deck a little bit. I'm excited about this. So so you've already gotten your guest commission joker out there. So who is our second guest joker? So the second guest joker is by a uh, Kentucky artist that goes by Jay Hammond. I've actually been following his work for quite a while. Very impressed. He does a lot of variant covers in the indie comic community. And he took on a character that was known as Angelo Buffalo Bill Palmieri. He was in the Buffalo, New York region. I mean, I love what he did with the card. I gave him a brief description of the real-life mobster, gave him my character as inspiration, and just said, go wild. Jay and I have been talking offline about some other stuff. He hails from bourbon country. You know, it's been great collaborating with him, and I'm excited to do some other collaborations with him in the future. He already knocked this one out of the park, and I can't wait to see him take my dust bunnies on in the future. And then the last card, the last Joker card that I did with this deck is a commission card. It is actually a pledge level that you can back in which you get to commission an animal mobster. I will work with you to create an animal character. We can go through with time period, details, clothing, colors, anything you want that's you know family friendly and able to be put on an all ages playing card. So that is actually a commission level that you can back at and there's only one available. And that Joker card will come up with a name for your character, a location, some dates, and it'll be exclusively printed on this deck. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> you have so many amazing perks with this particular campaign, and you're always pushing your creative boundaries when it comes to not only the cards, but your research and what you're bringing forward to the public. And I just love seeing that. You mentioned a couple of products as you were talking about it earlier in the interview, from whiskey glasses to the actual flask to a challenge coin. Let's dive into the challenge coin because I'm not too familiar with that. And I think that's an actual unique touch for a perk. Can you elaborate on the design inspiration and the decision to limit its production to only 100 coins? How does it complement the mobile theme playing cards? The challenge coin is actually something that's very big in the U.S. with law enforcement uh, communities and military and things like that. I can't speak to you know, other countries, but that is a big thing that I've seen um, going to different shows and events with other artists and crafters. There is a friend of mine who's a woodworker. I've used some of his woodworking in my campaigns in the past for my poker chips, where he creates these challenge coin holders, and they actually fit very well with my poker chips. I should say fit in those things. And so the challenge coin is something I've been seeing around. I know it's big in fan communities, offering a limited edition memorabilia piece. With Kickstarters in January, they always do an initiative. So it's a themed month that gives you an extra little promotion if you are doing a project that matches that theme. The theme for January every year has been Make 100. So I decided to do a challenge coin as something that's a little different, a little bit more exclusive, but also something that's almost like a membership card that you know you could carry with you. I have heard from my fans that my poker chips 
are very fun because they can fidget with them. I know some people leave them on their desk. They'll have a stack of them. They'll take one into a meeting and they'll just kind of play with it in their pocket or play with it under the table. And it's something they can fidget with that doesn't make a lot of noise. And so I thought a challenge coin would be something a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier, but still inconspicuous. But it's also something that you could take. And, you know, with the internet and with social media, someone could take it and post a picture of it all over the world and be like, you know, here's a famous mob hit area of New York. Take a picture of it, tag it, tag Dust Bunny Mafia. With the design of the coin, I wanted it to fit with the theme of Bugsy Siegel, early Vegas of the 40s and 50s. So I went with a copper finish on it. It has that antique look to it. On one side, it has the Mobile Moles logo. And then on the other side, I used the character Ignazio Lupo the Wolf, and I turned him into a wolf. He was a Sicilian-born mobster who came over to America in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. He was one of the original mustache peats. Um, he was a black hand extortionist that was precursor to the American mafia. They claimed that he had over 60 murders racked up that he was personally involved in by the time of his death. And he was one of the last of the old time bosses before the likes of Charles uh, Lucky Luciano. He was kind of the phasing out of the old mafia into the mafia that everyone thinks of today. And so I wanted to kind of commemorate that in this coin. I'm not familiar with challenge coins. What exactly are they specifically? Is it like, is it just for betting? Is it? I know that in other groups, like it's kind of like a club, like a membership token per se. And so it's almost like if you come to an event that other members are meeting up at, you would be able to say, hey, do you have your coin on you? And if you don't, they have to buy the other a beer or, you know, some kind of a oh, this time you have to buy me X. And it's kind of that thing that you're supposed to carry with you. And which is why it's also really big with military and law enforcement. If you have it on you, if you don't, hey, everyone, he's buying the next round or, you know, kind of that camaraderie aspect. It, it, so. shows, it shows family, basically. Besides the challenge coin, obviously you're going to have a lot of other exclusive items. You've already showcased a few of them. You have limited edition poker chips. You have signed checks. You have whiskey glasses, handmade plushies. You have the whole everything but the kitchen sink, it seems. What else do we have that we can look forward to supporting with this particular campaign and getting these, besides getting these amazing cards? I love creating a whole experience when it comes to my brand and my projects. So everything is tied together. I'm very focused and detailed, and I want to tell you a story. So whether you're coming to my Kickstarter or you find me at an event, my table is going to present a story. It's going to harken back to the, the old days where police were corrupt, but so was the mobsters. Just have some fun with it. So some of the things that I planned for this campaign, depending on the availability, I might have some extras after that I'll put up in my store or I'll sell with me at events. And one of them, Lucky Luciano, chairman of the board t-shirt. Lucky Luciano, when he came and helped make way for the new take on the American mafia, he wanted to rule it like a business. He helped reorganize the five families of New York 
into the heads of their families. He created a commission. So that was a ruling council that kind of oversaw mob beefs and scores and different things like that. And so you weren't just dealing with the head of a crime family, you were dealing with an executive board. And he did away with the title of Capo de Tutti Capo, which was the boss of bosses aspect, which was the way that the old Black Hand and the Sicilian Mafia, they would have one person who was the king, was the capo, was the ultimate boss that everyone lined up and paid tribute to. And so when he took over the American Mafia, he didn't want that title. He eliminated it as best he could. And he said, if anything, you call me the chairman of the board. He wanted to eliminate the target on his head if he gave that role or other people. And he wanted it to be a council to be run more like a business than a typical crime family structure. Another thing I'm doing is I've got limited edition uh, plushies. So this is uh, Ben Bugsy Siegel. I kind of took some creative liberties here. He is a seagull. Instead of focusing on the Bugsy name, there were so many people named Bugsy. I wanted to distinguish him. And so I used Siegel, his last name, and turned him into a gull. There's some plushies like this guy available. I also have a limited edition flask that has a quote by Al Capone on it. And these are black. They're actually laser engraved, very high quality. The quote says, some call it bootlegging, some call it racketeering, I call it a business. And that is a actual quote by Al Capone. And I've also got some whiskey glasses. That's something that I did in my first campaign, a deck of Dust by Mafia playing cards. And I worked with a local artist to create them. So last campaign, I had a Dust Bunny Mafia whiskey glass, and this is actually sandblasted on. So it is not going to come off. It's dishwasher safe. I would know because I've used this plenty of times since 2020. Every time I throw it in the dishwasher and it practically looks brand new. And so with this campaign, I'm going to work with that artist again, create another limited run, and it's going to have the Mob Moles logo on the glass. Uh, what uh, what studio or what artist created those shot glasses? So the artist is Sunshine uh, Levy of Gingy Girl Studio. It's a whiskey glass. It's a rocks okay. glass. So, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, that's pretty sizable. I mean, your shots are pretty impressive then. Bouncing historical accuracy with playful imagination is an art. How do you navigate this delicate balance in both the playing cards and the broader campaign exclusives, ensuring authenticity while embracing the imaginative world of mobiles? I first try and start with thorough research into the historical elements of a mobster. I do my best to understand the period, cultural references, and visual styles to ensure accuracy. And then like a good parody, I stretch them a bit. Another aspect that I normally take into my design is collaborating with experts. Through the internet, I've been able to network with and become friends with some great true crime authors, podcast hosts, journalists, and former law enforcement agents. So I've been able to work with other people. One of the things that was very helpful for me when I moved to Chicago and started really diving into the Chicago gangster world, 
I was listening to a podcast called Gangland Wire, and it's by Gary Jenkins, who's a retired Kansas City detective in the criminal intelligence unit, and he became a lawyer, and now he's this creator, host, and he does a true crime podcast focusing on mobsters. Through the power of the internet, I got connected with him. I was listening to his podcasts. We connected, and I was telling about my cards and my playing cards and my based on true story comics. I just was able to form a network and form a relationship with different true crime authors and podcast hosts and such. And since I am very intentional about my brand and my research, I want to get things right. And so if I don't have enough information, I will reach out to specific sources. For instance, Gary Jenkins is from Kansas City. Kansas City had a crime family that was big in the 50s through the 80s, I want to say. They reported to Chicago. They had a hand in some of the Vegas casinos. There was a big trial and conspiracy that happened with them skimming money from the casinos. And so with the Mob of Moles characters, there were a couple that were Kansas City mobsters or mob associates. And when I wasn't able to find enough information, I reached out to Gary and I said, hey, do you have any info on these guys? And the same thing happened with like one of the guest artists, the Joker card for Frog Glorioso. I figured out about him because of a podcast that Gary had about the Indiana mob. It's all about helping each other and networking through that. It's amazing the the beauty of the internet when you actually can find the information you're looking for. Yes. You've had a lot of supporters over the years and you've had a lot of memorable testimonials when it comes to the feedback from your supporters, especially when it comes to shaping the way your products come about and what they enjoy about them. Do you have any experiences that shaped your current project based on creative feedback or feedback from supporters? One of the biggest critiques from my last deck of playing cards was that the numbers were small and the font was difficult to read on all the cards. Make it kind of standard, and I want it to be easily understandable and readable for kids and adults alike. And so with that, I increased the font size of the actual cards. I made it something that was Art Deco in this one, so they're very easy to read. I didn't want any special flourishes, so you know an ace is an ace. You're not questioning whether is it a one or a seven or anything funky like that. That's one of the biggest critiques that I had in my last deck. So I made those improvements for this deck. Another aspect that changed was, like I mentioned earlier, adding the character info, tying in the real life story, because I wanted the deck to be able to stand on its own. When I first did the Dust Bunny Mafia playing cards, it literally just had number, suit type, and then the character. And that's it. But I had a whole eight, 10 years of the comic that people could go back to. They could go back to their books that had the character references on it. You didn't need to know, you know, which character was which for that. But since these ones are tying in a historical aspect, in the last one, I had a little booklet that was, you know, a little trifold booklet that had character names and what card they were on. This time, I wanted to eliminate that altogether. I ended up putting it directly on the card, 
whether you're just shuffling through it because you're killing time or you're actually playing a game, you can have some fun with it when you're, you know, pulling out an ace of hearts that's Johnny the Fox Torio. And it's right on the card. And, you know, with the beauty of the internet or your phone, if you want to know something about it, just pop it into Google right there. I've always loved your research. I've always loved your knowledge about this topic. And I'm glad that you're you're turning it into a, a brand of not only yourself, but also a brand of your your style and your creativity. I love it. I think that this is going to be an amazing deck of playing cards that people will purchase. And I can't wait to see this as such a huge success that you make the second half of your playing cards that you have in, in your back pocket. Unfortunately, though, Brett, that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. I want to thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. You know, it's always a pleasure. And I, whenever I'm working on my projects, I'm like, you know, when was the last time I talked to Kurt? And then I look back and it's been a year. So <laughs> I love it. Before I let you go, though, where can we find you? How can we support this campaign and any other websites and social medias you'd like to promote? Dust Bunny Mafia is the main place. So I've got a website, dustbunnymafia.com. From there, you can join the mafia to become on my email list to get notifications when I'm doing projects like this or going to shows. I've got my online store where I put up my extra product after I do Kickstarters where you can get booklets, playing cards. Sometimes I'll offer apparel, plushies, and I'm also active on social media. I'm on to search Dust Bunny Mafia. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, X. The current campaign is going to run until Friday, February 16th. There will also be product, hopefully, if it funds, available on my store. Like I said, that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. You can, of course, find this interview and a thousand plus others on our website, tgtmedia.com or twogeekstalking.com. That's T-W-O. Website's going through a revamp because I'm only one person. Go to our YouTube channel. It's a lot more updated. YouTube.com forward slash TGT Media. The podcast is back after 12 or so years. You can find it at twogeekstalking.podbean.com or just search Two Geeks Talking wherever you get your podcasts. And as I say every week, everyone has a story to tell. It's up to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening and watching on Two Geeks Talking.